0: Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California, and today's discussion with Emmett Chenran about building safe spaces. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and Michelle's co-host. At the Commonwealth Club, we're producing hundreds of programs a year on a wide variety of issues, online as well as many in-person programs. So head over to commonwealthclub.org for more upcoming programs, as well as video and audio from past excuse me, from past events. Um, if you're watching us live on YouTube, go ahead and add some questions into the chat box and we'll work them into our conversation here today. Now, it's my introdu- my pleasure to introduce Michelle Miao, the producer and host of the Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Hello, Michelle.
1: Hey, John, thank you so much for that. And thank you to all of you for joining us this afternoon. Let me introduce to you our speaker today, Emmett joined the GLBTQ Asian Pacific Alliance as its first trans board member in late 2020 and started producing GAPA Runway. And after two years of COVID-induced delays, he's finally seeing his work come to fruition in the first in-person runway since 2019. He's passionate about building inclusive community spaces that welcome people of all stripes, spearheading GAPA Runway's transformation from a binary gendered competition into a category-less genderqueer bonanza. Emmett, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you so much, Michelle and John. I'm so happy to be here.
1: So let's begin by, uh, you know, the tradition here on the program, which is uh, sharing a coming out story.
2: Yes, I recently relived my coming out experience because um, a story... Or an interview that I did for Elena Neal Sachs, who is a recent graduate of the UC Berkeley School of Journalism, um, just dropped on August 3rd yesterday on NPR Code Switch. So I had done this interview with her like a year ago and um, listening to the episode on NPR yesterday, I was just like reliving all of the the coming out experiences and trauma that I was telling her. Um, So I'll, I'll pick a few highlights to mention here. I think coming out, so I came out to my parents as trans in high school, I think in ninth grade. And I remember to prep for the conversation because I'm definitely not a fluent speaker of Mandarin by any means. Um, I looked up all the terms that were critical for the discussion at hand, like how to say transgender in Chinese and how to say like tomboy or things like that. And I remember also being sort of, anxious about doing that because there are a lot of times when words that are neutral for identities or marginalized communities in English have an inherent stigma in other languages, such as um, the Spanish word for gay is inherently a slur. There isn't really a neutral way to say it. And so I was very worried going into this conversation with my parents that I would not be able to present myself or my announcement to them in an inherently neutral way. Um, and then in, in years after that, I think they, my parents and family, also obviously had to go through the very universal challenge of using new pronouns for their child. Um, but because Chinese, Chinese pronouns sound the same when you say them out loud, it was always sort of hard for me to tell whether they were using the right pronouns or not. Like, are they referring to me by he, or are they still saying she, and I just have no idea because I'm just hearing it out loud and it all sounds the same. So I think coming out to them in, in high school is definitely nerve wracking to say the least. Um, we're definitely much, all parties are more mellow about it now. Um, and I think we have an amicable relationship nowadays.
0: You, you said you kind of went through this again with the release of this, the of that interview. Well, what were your feelings of, of, of listening to it and, and such? And have you gotten feedback from others who have heard this?
2: Yeah, I actually found out from a friend who just is an NPR Code Switch listener who DM'd me yesterday morning before I even woke up to say, hey, I realized that this was you on, on the radio this morning. And I had no idea it was going to be dropping yesterday. So it was a pleasant surprise. I did have a lot of trepidation because um, Elena, the interviewer and the recent graduate from the Berkeley School of Journalism, she had also interviewed my mom and I was not on that call. And I'd said to her, I don't want to talk to my mom about it. You can go talk to her about it. But I had not heard any of the footage from this call until yesterday. So I was very apprehensive going into it kind of worrying about what I was going to hear from my mom because I had heard that she had cried during the call. And um, to my gratification, it was completely fine. She was, I'm sure they cut some footage as well, but (laughs) what I heard from my mom was very comfortable to hear and honestly, kind of heartwarming to hear as well.
1: We'll go look for the interview, but curious to know, I mean, if you could pick one thing out of what your mom said that maybe surprised you or, you know, really affected you or impacted you. Would you mind sharing that?
2: Yes. Um, So the interviewer, Elena, she had sort of bit the bullet and asked my mom, when you referred to Emmett in the third person in Chinese, like, or even in English, what do you think about the pronoun slip ups? Like if you use he or she in English and you say she, like, what is that about? Um, And my mom had said to my sort of surprise, but also sort of expectation that sometimes it is just a fact of English not being her first language um, because of the the genderlessness of pronouns in Chinese. Like it just doesn't make as much of a distinction for her in her mind when she uses pronouns in English. But also that she and my dad have intentionally tried to be more thoughtful about using he for me. Um, both verbally and in written text, so it was surprising to hear that part.
0: That is interesting because I, I, I know some other um, Chinese immigrants to the United States who, uh, especially when they're kind of speaking fast, will use the wrong pronoun, and not even in, in an issue of, of trying to change what you're referring to one person as, but I mean just in what they're whatever they're kind of grasping for at the moment. And I didn't realize that, that uh, the language they were coming from was, was um, kind of structured differently. And I guess when I look over, I, my second language is German, where everything has a gender. This computer is either male, female, or neuter, and this desk is, and this shirt, you know, everything. And uh, I, I, I'm sure that somewhere in some PhD department at a university, someone's doing a study of of how... Um, and everything gendered, uh, language is dealing with these things. I kind of like the idea of, of just the, the same pronoun for everything, just because everyone, you know, just because it, it, it kind of gets over, um, a lot of the hurdles that I think people are kind of going through. Um, but, it, but this, the, the being an NPR and being a visible person in, in San Francisco and, 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 and running GAPA Runway, how, you feel about being public? And you know it's one thing again to kind of have to come out to your family and and, and friends. Is it are you comfortable speaking publicly and 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 you know dealing with people recognizing you and, and talking to you? Or is that scary? What's that like?
2: I definitely enjoy feeling part of the community. Um, I think from a young age, like ever since I went to college and was able to start living as a man um, I felt very fulfilled by building and being part of community um, so much so that in, in college, I um, was on the board of the Queer and Asian Club that my school had. And we did a lot of things where we were just creating community spaces for people to come in to have conversations and to build coalitions with each other. Um, I think in in San Francisco, it's... Not been so much since I just moved to San Francisco in February of last year, but definitely since starting to produce runway and especially with runway being in person this year i've been able to really make connections with a lot of people in nightlife in community organizing um in political action, and just seeing API people and especially queer and trans API people exist and inhabit comfortably all these different realms of society has been really cool to see because on the west coast i think it's really unique because so many asian people have lived here for generations like one of my f- my best friends right now is a queer asian man and he's fourth or fifth generation in his family in the united states which is mind-boggling for me because on the east coast i'm from new york everyone is either first generation or just immigrated over. Like I was born in Beijing as well. I immigrated over when I was five and just seeing the difference in mentality and sort of generational stability um, between API people on the West and East coast has been really cool.
1: So, you know, I want to stay on this, um, the importance of being a part of community that also embraces, you know, the cultural identity as well as right, sexual orientation, gender identity and so on. So being queer and Asian, for example, um, I found have been you know, life-saving when I'm in spaces where other people understand these you know, specific nuances of being queer and Asian. Uh, I'd love for you to share you know, your perspective on right, like the, the importance of an organization like GLBTQ, Asian Pacific Alliance and holding space for us, for issues that affect us?
2: I think identity based groups are very necessary and needed, especially today. I think, so I guess talking about GAPA, um, GAPA or the GLBTQ Asian Pacific Alliance started in the 1980s as a support group um, in Berkeley for gay API men. And over the years, it spawned a newsletter, it spawned Runway, it spawned theater and chorus and dance. Um, everything has come from this this identified need for a common space and organization to further the interests of, in the words of the time, uh, gay API men. And back in the 1980s, this was okay, I think, as a dynamic because there was a sister organization called Lavender Phoenix. um, And they were the sort of Asian slash Pacifica sisters, they called themselves. And they were sort of uh, counterpart serving queer and maybe trans Asian Pacific Islander women in the Bay area. But over the years, um, you know, I can only speak for GAPA from here on out. But GAPA started doing a lot more political work. Um, GAPA has many friends who are either politicians or electeds in the city or around California who are either friends of Runway or the organization or people in the organization. And GAPA has really become a sort of leader, I think, in community organizing in the Bay Area. Um, When I joined in 2020, it was going through a period of rebirth because up to sort of 2019, GAPA had been GAPA Foundation and there was a split in interest um, and in interest in direction from the board where some people wanted to have GAPA be a more scholarship based organization. And that organization is now called PRISM Foundation. So the people who wanted to give out scholarships did that through PRISM Foundation. And then um, GAPA took on a whole new sort of masthead or helm and became the GLBTQ Asian Pacific Alliance. So I think that was a lot of sort of organizational dynamics, but I think it reflects the changing movements and attitudes of various people in the community that nowadays we don't need a support group um, for your your demographic where that's the only place you can get support from people in that demographic. I think nowadays it's very easy to organically meet people of your demographic and just meet them on the street or at a bar or at some other activity you do. Um, people are both more out about um, hidden identities and people also feel more comfortable being in spaces that are were not historically for their visible identity. So there's been a lot more intermingling, a lot more sort of uh, queering of many structures and spaces, and that makes Gappa a really exciting place to be in 2022.
0: What's your sense of of why Gappa has been successful in um, addressing needs and, and, and both as it's evolved as well as kind of what it's set up to do. Cause a, there are a lot of organizations as we know that just kind of fall by the wayside or never are able to really catch on, you know, in, in whether it's from support or just participation. Why is GAPA successful?
2: I would say GAPA has a very strong um, lever to pull in, in its sort of intergenerationality. On the board, which we are a working board, so we spend a lot of time with each other. Um, We socialize as well as organize events and decide on the five year plans of like the organization strategy as well. Like, we do it all. So, we spend a lot of time with each other, and there are people who have been in GAPA since the beginning, like, we're one of the members of the original rap groups in Berkeley. Um, and are still involved in GABA now and are able to offer us that historic perspective on how GABA and the Bay area queer and trans scene has changed over the years. So I think that sort of aspect of having queer elders to draw upon, um, is not, a, is not common for a lot of modern queer and trans young people because of the whole AIDS pandemic that wiped out so many people in that generation, um, and as well as just people not really inhabiting intergenerational spaces nowadays, so I think that is a, a really strong boon that we have a sort of um, headwind on our side or tailwind, I don't know. And otherwise, I think GAPA also because of its its long history with political action. Um, has also given a lot of people avenues to exercise their voices and to exercise their organizing skills um, in a time where it becomes increasingly easy to do nothing. Um, I was talking to my friend last night who's a school teacher for high school students, and he was saying, like, by far one of the biggest neuroses and worries that he sees in high school students nowadays and worries about for the future is that because people are so glued to their phones, they just see it as easier to do nothing than to do anything like when faced with any sort of challenge or action that might bring them outside of their comfort zones they would rather retreat and that i think has terrifying implications (laughs) for the future of society so i would hope that people continue to get involved with organizations like GAPA that have a strong propensity towards action, especially political action, and encourage people to either embark on that path or go further down that path and actually do things to further the, the state of society.
1: And we'll get to the importance of political action, especially today and in, you know, climate of uh, anti-LGBTQ laws that are trying to be passed in this country. Um, you mentioned it earlier in your bio that, you know, you're the first openly trans board member for GAPA. And so I want to go back to that and just, you know, that moment in which obviously you knew that, you know, joining the board, you would become a first and then having to do the work to then, uh, actually, yeah, do the work to change the culture so that it can be more inclusive.
2: Being the first trans board member... I don't think it was as hard for me as it would be for a non-binary or a trans woman board member to join because GAPA is a quote unquote men's group. Like I do identify as a man. So the, the trans part of that is just sort of a, by or a side fact, I guess. Um, and a lot of the behavioral things that I do or like the cultural media that I consume is, in line with what other like queer men consume and do. So I think for me, it was not so hard to feel part of the group. Um, there are small things in terms of language or the way we think about trans issues nowadays that I and, um, other non-cis men on the board do have to correct people from time to time. But I think everyone does try their best and, um, it's also an, an, ex- an exercise in sort of the praxis of integrating different different subgroups within the community. Like, are we going to get stuck up on um, someone being misgendered, or like, are we going to sort of try to overcome that on both sides to work towards the larger goals that we have?
0: Take us back. How did you, how and why did you first get involved with Kappa?
2: I got involved in late 2020 when... I had, so I graduated school in 2020 in May and started my job in San Francisco in July, but was living in the South Bay with some friends in an Airbnb at the time because it was the height of the pandemic. And we were like, if we can't hang out outside, let's live together and hang out that way. So I joined GAPA first um, when I was living in Sunnyvale, and they were prepping for the virtual runway that year, which was in November of 2020. And that runway was sort of my first exposure to GAPA as an organization. And uh, because I have had a lot of theater experience and theater production experience in college um, and GAPA was going through this period of rebirth where they didn't really have any people staffing runway, I was like, I can take on runway. And the I'll say the virtual one was much easier to organize than the in-person one that's coming up in a few weeks. But it was really cool to be able to still do this hobby that I have, which is theater production and live entertainment production on a scale that was similar to what I had done in college without having to pay for it. Because as I learned after graduating, every hobby you do as an adult, you must pay for (laughs) to some extent. And that's the death and taxes of having interests as an adult. (laughs) So I'm really glad for GAPA giving this, giving me this uh, opportunity to do this thing that I love, um, while doing it in a community that I am a part of, and while creating more community spaces. Like bang, bang, bang! Like all three things. What what else could I ask for? <laughs>
1: A lot of these iconic events um, have been happening and going on for years and years in the San Francisco Bay Area with a mission and a purpose to serve our communities, raise money for some of those critical services. Um, talk to us about, you know, Runway with the experiences, uh, you know, what is it actually and exactly, right, and the type of entertainment and, and then also what it's done for our community.
2: You know, that's such a good question. And I struggle with this question every time someone asks, Oh, what is the show that you produce? Like, it's so hard to explain what it is. Um, But my elevator pitch for it is that it is a beauty pageant or more like a parody of a beauty pageant in that it's structured like a pageant for entertainment purposes. But the point of it and the focus of it is really to highlight the artistry and humanity and talent of people in the queer and trans Asian Pacific Islander community. Um, It's an all QTAPI production. So um, I, as well as everyone working on it um, and people in the show are QTAPI with the exception of our stage manager who is white, but he's been doing the show for like so many years and we could not put it on without him. He's a very strong ally. Um, And The show, it started as an underground dance party for QTAPI people in the 80s when there weren't really public spaces that they could gather in. And over the years, it grew into this production, into what it is today. And um, Runway has always crowned people um, as Mr. and Miss Gappa or as Gappa royalty, as sort of uh, flag bearers for the community, sort of representatives and icons of what we see as the best to to represent our community and i think that it must have some sort of ballroom roots as well like i have seen some early pictures from from gappa in the 80s and the format seemed very like very ballroom like so if I had a time machine to go back, I could report back more accurately. But today, what it is, is um, a full-on production at Herbst Theater on Van Nass Avenue. We've been at the Herbst Theater a number of years now. And I think it serves, a, the philosophical need it serves in the community is just that there are still not enough stages and spaces for QTAPI people to perform on. And what's unique about Runway is that Historically, it's not just seasoned drag performers who come and compete as their drag personas. It's also about half community members who just come on stage and compete as themselves. And I think that's so cool because it, one, gives gives an avenue and a channel for API people who obviously, like in American society, are not given so many chances to be on stages or screens or Um, other mainstream forms of media, it gives them this pathway to start performing if they would like to. And it also showcases just superstars in the community um, who are either icons of their own right or do a lot of public service or have a well of humanity inside them um, that can be showcased by this pageant, which on its face is very flippant, but at its core has a lot of heart.
0: You've mentioned the creativity of the people who uh, who compete. Um, give us a flavor of this. What what sort of things do you see? If if people who've never heard about this are thinking of going, what are they likely to see on the stage?
2: This year's group of contestants is the most diverse we've ever had, um, both sort of intentional and unintentional, and uh, the roster was carefully curated by me because in this um, in this first runway since our our name change of the organization happened and also a structure change within runway happened as like it's really important that we come up with a strong showing of contestants here with like a good distribution to showcase like what kinds of people are in the QTAPI community nowadays um, because a lot of, even people with, even like queer and trans Asian Pacific Islander people within our own community can become very pocketed and siloed. Um, So I think it's very important that when you come to such a showcase like this, we really bring out people from like all different nooks and crannies and put them on the stage. So there are people from a lot of different ethnicities, um, both South, Southeast and East Asian people um, as well as Pacific Islander people. There are people who identify as, um, gender queer as binary genders um, as non-binary or uh, yeah so I guess we run the whole gamut in terms of gender expression um, in terms of masculinity versus femininity of expression as well as the actual like fantasies that they're going to perform on stage so there's a first portion of the show where each contestant has to draw us into their world and make us believe in their fantasy for two minutes. And they are, are doing things like pole dancing, roller skating, um, spoken word rapping. Like there's such a cool variety of talents and fantasies that are going to be showcased at runway. So I definitely encourage people to come out and experience, uh, the first ever runway pole dance. Like that's going to be a great time.
0: Before we go on, tell people where they can find out more about it. How can they, are are tickets on sale or when will they go on sale? How does that work?
2: Yes, tickets have been on sale. You can go to gappa.org slash runway, and there will be a ticket link at the very top of that page. Um, Tickets are on sale up until the day of the show, which is August 13th, and we have almost filled up the orchestra and are currently selling Dress Circle tickets and there are two tiers of tickets. There's a basic seating tier and a premium seating tier. Great, thank you.
1: That was my question anyway, so that's good. And we'll mention it again at the end of the program to remind everyone where you can get tickets. Um, you know, the, I love what you had to say about just the intentional you know, uh, efforts in making this as diverse and inclusive as possible. And it, it's so beautiful. There has been you know the the growing pains I think in our community um, where folks have not necessarily wanted to or thought that it was important to do so to create space where it is inclusive when we think about gender identity sexual orientation uh and so forth and so on um and this is a question that i I' written to you, but yeah should our organizations ones especially ones that you know were born um nearly 50 years ago during the liberation movement be open and embrace the, the fact that our movement has become a whole lot more inclusive and, it, and also reprioritizing, right. Uh, trans GNC voices or transgender non-conforming voices and people versus being, you know, gay, lesbian centered, if you will.
2: There's definitely room for both because a lot of, LGBTQ people who came of age in the 80s do identify very strongly with titles like lesbian or gay um, and I think there's a difference in mindset in that someone who's transmasculine nowadays who was born 50 years ago might identify very strongly as a butch lesbian that there are sort of blurrings of lines and interminglings of categories and they and a lot of people across generations are saying the same things and identifying with the same sentiments or feelings or gender expressions but are just talking about it or conceptualizing it in a different way um and i think the main difference is that in maybe 50 years ago one might stay the gender they were assigned at birth and say i'm making this gender more expansive like i'm expanding what it means to be a woman Um, I'm creating my own definition in that I can be a masculine woman, but nowadays that same person might be more likely to say, actually, I don't want to associate with the woman label at all. I'd rather be transmasculine or non-binary. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Um, but in terms of the community as a whole, it's hard to reconcile these two trains of thought sometimes because they are definitionally sort of just opposing. But I think there's obviously room for everyone who has um, all these different approaches and life experiences to be in the community. We just all have to understand where other people are coming from and what their, sh- their life experiences were that led to them identifying with certain labels or types of thinking. Um, but I think strategically... Because communities and coalitions are carried by the next generation of people in those communities, it is in our overall community's best interest to highlight and uplift the ways of thinking of the youngest generation. Because if they don't feel accepted and supported by older generations in the community, they're not going to organize and carry on the torch to for future generations. So, yeah, I think strategically it's always for the best that we we align with the youngest generation's way of thinking about things.
0: You mentioned uh, joining the board in 2020, Um, and of course, 2020 and 2021, and into 2022, we've been dealing with a pandemic and a lot of shutdowns, as obviously, you know, with Runway being um, virtual for that time. Um, But I'm just kind of curious, and like, what has that been like? Were there Obviously, I mean, we've been seeing um, how, you know, being isolated has fueled a lot of mental health issues with people of all types, all areas, um, all across the country. Um, it's helped fuel this political upheaval we've had. It's helped fuel conspiracy. You know, I mean, there's been a lot of disruption that we've all been going through. I was just kind of wondering if you could kind of give us from from your perspective what you've gone through and what gappa has gone through. Uh, during the pandemic. And congratulations on making it out because a lot of nonprofits have not.
2: That's very true. And GAPA board members have been tirelessly working to make sure that we still have funding through it all. Um, there was a really big grant from, I think, Jack Dorsey that we got during last year that really enabled us, one, to sort of reinvigorated our, our energy stores and made us feel like, you know, we're, we're doing the right stuff. Like if we can land this really big grant and institutional funding, we're definitely doing what's needed for the community. And in the pandemic, definitely a lot of programming was put on pause, but we did still do a lot of pandemic friendly things. Like there was um, a hike that was held every month by our treasurer, Ray Palmano at the time. Um, we met outside as much as we could. We had runway virtually, uh, for, for runway in 2020, we prepared these like party packages that were like different swag items that various QTAPI orgs had do- donated to us or like discounts from QTAPI owned businesses in the Bay. Um, and to save on money, we, me and Roland, who is, um, the, the social chair for Gappa, we like drove around and like personally delivered these packages to everyone in the Bay. And that definitely helped us uh, stay under budget. That was before gas was like $6 a gallon. <laughs> but um, otherwise I think programming is definitely coming back more and more this year. We, because we're a working boards um, we definitely had to, there's always this, this mantra and this um, shared thought about like everyone is giving what they can give. And we have to take that at at what it is Um, because it's all volunteer board. Like we would all love to put more time into GABA and to do community organizing, but we do unfortunately all have jobs to sustain the cost of living in the Bay area. And so in the slow uh, increase of programming, we've done this year, one of our mantras for this year has been like, have fun, spend money and don't burn out in the words of the GAPA chair.
1: (laughs) Let's talk about the current, you know, anti-LGBTQ efforts uh, of this country and the policies that they're trying to, to pass and your thoughts on, you know, queer trans API leadership in the community um, and how we respond and how we organize against all these policies. I mean, one thing I think for me that I always try to be mindful of is how I talk about uh, these policies. And then people say, well, you know, Michelle, especially when I turn less of my queerness off for my family, my Asian family, you know, they say, don't talk about it. Don't talk about politics where that's difficult for queer people like us because this is our life. And so I'd love your thoughts on, um, yeah, how we respond to this What's happening right now?
2: Yeah, I just want to follow up really quickly on the last thing you said, which was like that as queer people and as POC, it is impossible for us to not be political. Like our existence and our intersectional existence, especially, is inherently political. And I th- there's a new Queer as Folk reboot that um, Frameline screened in, in the festival during May, and the first episode it's sort of a spoiler, but they also tell you right at the beginning. So it's not really a spoiler. Um, In the first episode, they depict a nightclub shooting as sort of like a nod to pulse nightclub. And some of the, the Frameline members that I was talking to afterwards were like, you know, I wish it didn't have to tackle like queer trauma. Like I wish it was just sort of a happy show that you could watch and like take your mind off things. But The unfortunate reality of living in 2022 as a queer trans person is that you have to confront these very unpleasant issues and thoughts all the time. Like it is, it is almost a community like survival tactic at this point to be resilient. Like we have to always practice such resilience against the constant onslaught of legislation uh, anti queer trans hate crimes like just the sentiment uh, from people walking on the street who see us like it is it is constant exercise and i think the the anti queer and trans legislation nationally is i think it's largely a product of like media sensationalization and certain legislators Realizing that they can get a lot more screen time if they glom onto these like hot topic issues, um, and I think we've seen that with a couple of anti-transports bills in Indiana and um, I forget where else, but two other Utah and one other state where the the Republicans in the in the state Congress tried to get the governor to pass some sort of bill banning kids from playing on sports teams with their with their gender and the republican governor in two of these states vetoed the bill but was overridden by the the congress either the house and the senate or just one of them and like the governor's uh reasoning was always like this is not a, a systemic issue like we're not seeing an onslaught of trans kids trying to like storm the bathrooms or locker rooms of like the quote unquote incorrect gender or anything like this is a non-issue we should be prioritizing other things but i think legislators have really realized like in the wake of trump especially that doing the craziest most outlandish thing that gets eyeballs is often what gets them free publicity and gets them re-elected so maybe this like obviously we have to organize and we have to speak out politically against all these things but maybe like as someone in tech, like the tech company should probably be doing more to stop this snowball effect of doing the most sensational thing, getting you rewards. Um, But in terms of, I guess, fighting back against the legislation in general, it's definitely a, a hard time. And there are organizations out there that have been fighting the good fight and continue to fight the good fight. And so I would say probably the most effective way for individuals to fight back as I see it right now for people in my social circles are to donate to these organizations or donate to people like individuals that are being affected in states um, that have passed anti-queer trans legislation. I think in the pandemic we really saw that supporting individuals goes a long way, like just donating to people's GoFundMe's or Vemoing people um, like relief money is often the most effective way to support our community. So I'd encourage people to do a mix of political organizing and donating to organizations and individuals.
0: Kind of considering these policies and laws and, and political fights, as well as these disruptions and threats from far-right activists, You know, actively to, you know, disrupting, in particular, trans events, um, is something like GAPA and the work it does do you think, I mean, can that only be done in something like in an area like the Bay Area or other large liberal cities? Or, you know, is is the climate in this society just not, you know, not amenable to having it take place in a in a smaller area that's maybe not as, you know, I mean, San Francisco kind of fame. It was all of its problems kind of famously, at least it's, it's welcoming and, and open to people.
2: It's probably a double-edged sword in that in a place like San Francisco, there is such a critical mass of queer and trans API people. But at the same time, because there's so many people, there's a diffusion of responsibility. And a lot of people may think someone's out there doing it. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are not in GAPA who see GAPA as probably like their stopgap of the, the queer and trans organization that will represent them. But even um, among Gap, but like even on the board, there is diffusion of responsibility when I ask like, hey, who can help me do something for runway? Sometimes there'll be crickets. Like (laughs) it's definitely um, good in that like you see you can look around and see yourself represented in the people around you not feel alone and be able to have friends and allies and supporters um, who look at look like you and who support people who look like you. But I imagine in rural areas there is a greater sense of urgency, and that if you don't do it, who will? Um, if you don't stand up and become a representative for queer, or trans, or any other sort of demographic identity, who will do it for you? Um, so I think in in liberal cities we are definitely spoiled in that so much of our social fabric we take for granted as having places like the Castro or places like, uh, queer bars and Soma. And that is, that definitely contributes to a sense of belonging community. But at the same time, probably there are a lot of people who just live their lives in liberal cities and don't ever touch any sort of queer, um, or trans or race related political issue and are able to do that, which is fine. Like, Queer and trans people deserve rest. Like we all deserve to just live our lives and not be constantly fighting for our existences, but, um, there are pros and cons.
1: (laughs) One of the things that I loved, uh, that GAPA did and many others in the community was establish, I think the very first QTAPI or queer trans API week, you know, during pride month, uh, which I think is incredibly necessary, especially around, highlighting the issues that affect um, our queer and Asian identity. And one of that being, right, the anti-Asian violence and hate that we had seen spike up uh, during COVID-19. Can you talk a little bit about QTAPI Week, how, you know, it affected the community and really draw attention to uh, getting other people's attention in the queer community to care about issues that affect queer trans Asian Americans.
2: Yeah, one of the GAPA board members, uh, Michael and Wen, was instrumental in getting QTAPI week instrumented. And it was, I wasn't too involved in it, but from what I saw, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of organizing and sheep herding and getting people on the same page. And we did celebrate the first ever official or second ever official QTAPI week this year. Um, where we had a whole week long of programming um where various queer and trans Asian Pacific Islander orgs um supplied programming and and just really pitched in together and made a group effort to sort of highlight all the diverse types of life and humanity we have within the community. Um, I think it's it's super cool in terms of like visibility and just acknowledgement. And it comes sort of hand in hand with uh, tr- the new designation of August as Transgender History Month. I think it's I'm sorry, I'm such a bad transverse. Uh, it's either Transgender History Month or like Remembrance Month or some sort of like trans related thing. But History Month. OK, thank you. Um, but I know the Transgender Cultural District and uh, the mayor work together to designate August as SS, Um or at least SF is designating August as uh, transgender history month. So I think with these sort of more institutional acknowledgements of marginalized demographics and people who have been on the like edges of empire for so long, um, it is sort of playing into the system. Like we are acknowledging this nod from, um, the mainstream institutions that we've been barred from and sort of marginalized by for so long. But at the same time, hopefully by participating in these institutions, we will have more of a presence and have more of a say in them.
0: What, looking forward, what are some services or programming or, or, um, types of community gatherings or organizations, anything like that, that you would like to see made available in the area for QTAPI audiences and, and, and populations? I mean, what what kind of, a, I guess it's the what's next question and what can be done next?
2: I think, I think for one, coming out of the pandemic, I really hope and expect that our community is rested and re-energized and ready to fight. I think there are so many things that need more energy and attention than ever before and that a lot of people, like the pandemic is not over by any means, um, both at a society level and in an individual level for people who are dealing with long COVID or who have always had chronic illness or pain um, and benefited from the ways that the pandemic changed society and the way we do things. But I think inside and like spiritually, I hope people are getting their bootstraps up in order and like putting on their gear and getting ready to do like the political movements and and actions and and fights and community organizing that we all need to see. Um, I hope for the QTAPI community in the Bay Area that we continue to participate in, in the politics of the Bay Um, I think being as someone in tech, like I see too often people just move to the Bay and not be involved with anything relating to the Bay, just sort of pick what they want from the culture and the life of the Bay and not give anything back. Um, And I hope that the QTAPI community can be a leader um, and really demonstrate the ways to productively and helpfully and collaboratively engage with existing communities in the Bay Area to champion and up- uplift them without displacing them um, in terms of actual structural programs i hope that we have more funding for artists um, from all backgrounds to pursue their art and to live um, like artists especially suffer from the, the high cost of living in the bay area and so i hope there's more support for people who who maybe don't make um, enough of their day jobs to live comfortably in the Bay area so that they can continue to contribute to the culture of the Bay. Um, I hope that organizations are continue to sort of acknowledge the ways in which their, their constituents, I guess, are evolving and while preserving the the ties to previous communities or movements they've had uh, like GAPA. Like I think, with the name change and with the structural changes the runway is on the right track, but definitely not everyone's there. And we're also sort of defining what it means to like be there. Like is what we have right now actually the most optimal way for us to sort of preserve tension and, and healthy differences within the community. Like we don't want it to be a homogenous community. So sort of defining like what is the most ideal way for a very diverse and and different community to uh, to exist in harmony with itself. Um, I hope that the Bay Area will continue to get cheaper for people to live in, uh, especially queer and trans people, and especially POC. And I think, um, I think, unfortunately, it'll society and the Bay will probably stay the same slash like get a little bit worse before it gets better for the long run. But that as we see throughout history, it's always in oscillation. Um, things are definitely getting a little worse in terms of legislation right now, but hopefully that just means that we're on the precipice of an upswing.
1: Thank you so much for that. And that was beautifully said. Um, I wanted to, you know, you had mentioned the changes, the structural changes, still obviously a whole lot of work to do, but it would be great to talk a little bit about how it's changed GAPA and its membership. You know, are you seeing the benefits from changing the name and, you know, making the structural changes like of GAPA Runway?
2: It's hard to quantify just how much impact it's had. Um, Obviously, since we can't, it's really hard to measure that. But I think we are seeing, like, even just having certain ideas and the name spoken into existence still move the needle. Um, there, we created an advisory board comprised of entirely like non cis men, um, which I also meet with sometimes. And that's been a step forward for GAPA. We have, uh, when we like, events we go around and like have everyone say their pronouns we like try to intentionally bring like non-cis men into the space as well i think the way it and especially oh with runway most of all so runway has always been binary gendered to have mr and miss gappa titles as for the winners um but since last year there wasn't a runway last year but we made this change last year um, we got rid of the two binary gendered categories and all the contestants just compete in in one category now. And it's the two highest scoring people who win. And they're called GAPA royalty instead of Mr. and Ms. GAPA. Um, and I think that with Runway being such a large platform um, and such a big event that people go to, that has also started a lot of like gears turning in people's heads about like, why do they do that? Um, what, what reasons or what benefits and, and drawbacks do they have for doing that? So I think at the very least, the name change and our sort of intentional um, integration of non-cis men into the, the organization has sparked certain conversations and ideas in people's heads that may not have been there before. I think it's probably a little early to say like just how much this one year's changes have made um, in the the grand scheme of how GAP interacts with community, but... I think it was the right time and the right thing to do. And we can only continue to do that going forward.
0: Was there any negative brushback to making that change?
2: For runway, there definitely was some pushback, um, valid pushback uh, for sure, because runway has historically had the Mr. Gaba category, which were usually cis gay men um, competing as themselves. And so Runway did historically give Asian men who are typically emasculated by Western media a platform to, to take their expression and their gender into their own hands, um, to sort of both queer the, the representation of what it looks like to be an Asian man on a stage Um, but also explore their own relationship to gender and femininity and masculinity. And some stalwarts of uh, the binary gender categories had said, you know, the Mr. Gappa category has been very significant for Asian men to explore this part of themselves and to demonstrate to the community what it means to be an Asian man. Um, And that space deserves to be sort of explicitly protected with this like Mr. Gappa category. And I think we, we had a really thoughtful process by which we went about gathering community opinions and holding town halls and having forums with uh, the board and runway production personnel and people in the community. And it was a lot of community conversations that we had before um, we felt comfortable getting to this point point of saying, okay, we're ready to have a vote and the, the board ultimately voted on it. Um, I think the concerns of people who, who express that are most certainly valid. I think it just points to a need for abundance. It, it points to a need for ever more expansiveness, ever more programming and spaces for people to have um, all different sorts of activities and performances in. Like There definitely should be a space where just cis, gay, Asian men um, perform gender that should be made just in the same breath as like runway should be genderless. Um, I think it just points to, yeah, more, more funding and support and encouragement needed for all these different pockets to spring up.
1: Navigating that whole process couldn't have been easy. I myself have been in, you know, um, conversations uh, in which it's been difficult, right? But if you could share getting through the difficult process, I hear from you this um, very, I feel so safe, like listening to you where I can be in a room with you and might disagree on something, but we're going to move forward, I guess, is the, the right way to describe it. I think a lot of people who are organizers and who are part of our community would love to hear you know, from you how you get through that process as difficult as it is. Um, and then having the mindset that, you know, we don't always have to, we don't always have to, to, to fight each other in order to get ahead.
2: For sure. I think my day job actually helps with this a lot because I'm a product manager and a lot of what that entails is just influencing people and getting people to align and see the same, see eye to eye, Um, And I think what I do is try to, like, get on the same page as people in terms of our, like, very high-level goals. Um, I read Dale Carnegie's, like, How to Win Friends and Influence People way back when in, like, middle school or something. But I remember one, like, piece of fluff that he had in there was, like, when you're talking to someone, try to make them verbally agree with you at least three times. Like if you're talking to, I don't know, like a customer service representative, you could be like, we both know that like, so your company is like the foremost leader in in manufacturing, whatever, right? And yes, and then you do that two more times. And then after they sort of felt that they're in agreement with you, you can sort of delve into the places where you might differ. So I think um, broad strokes... I definitely try to align with people in terms of like our overarching goals. And so, you know, we're all on the same team here. We are all approaching this with good intentions. I hope um, the, the details we do need to sort out, but like, let's just keep our eyes on the overarching goal and we can try to discuss um, what the methodology or like mechanism by which we can get there is.
0: I'm actually. I'm glad you a couple times touched on the tech world, and and I kind of want to. So, for my last question, I, I want to get into that. Is just a few years even before the pandemic, uh, the tech world had a big, if you will, come to Jesus moment, and they were admitting, "Yep, we suck as far as diversity. We're terrible at it. Here we are. We're you know, whatever, hugely white and Asian, and and, and you know, pretty much that's it. We're going to try really, really hard." to change that and like the next year the numbers came out and they were like just as bad but from from your position inside how how and and not just racially but as far as LGBTQ people how is the tech industry
2: doing give it a report card if you would <laughs> the tech industry is definitely trying but there you definitely hear incidents here and there of like um, every time someone usually like a POC leaves a company with a bad taste in their mouth, like it usually was due to individual experiences that they had within the company. So it, it is by no means like a utopia. Um, I think from my friends and the people that I know in the tech scene, um, typically the like, most of one's experiences will be fine and devoid of any sort of problematic interactions, unless you're black. Um, And if you're black, it can have a a significantly higher percentage of experiences that are problematic. But even so, like, it's not, it's not so dismal as it was maybe a decade ago. Um, I think a lot of, Structural changes have been put in, in terms of recruiting pipelines, in terms of partnering with diverse university organizations um, and like programs like a program that I did in high school is called Girls Who Code, who um, they just try to funnel more women and girls into, into this computer science. And so a lot of these things have slowly all been coalescing and like starting to make an impact and a change. And I think in 10 more years, we'll see a really drastic difference in terms of numbers. But I think right now we're just seeing all these different various pockets of society working towards the same goal. Their efforts are finally kind of paying off um, and and are starting to make an effect on the numbers.
1: Emmett, I want to thank you so much for your leadership. I think San Francisco, the Bay Area and GAPA is incredibly lucky to, to have you and uh, we're really looking forward to Runway this year. So our final question for you is just to repeat again, how do we get tickets to Gapper Runway? When is it? And all that good stuff.
2: Yes, please come to the show. Um, I know I didn't say too much about like what the show actually is still, there's, but it's going to be super entertaining, I promise. Um, I personally do not recommend live shows lightly. And I'm saying, even if I were not the producer of the show, I would still recommend it to you. It's going to be August 13th at 7 p.m. at Herb Cedar, which is 401 Van Ness Avenue in San Francisco. You can get tickets by going to gappa.org slash runway, and there'll be a big ticket button at the top of the page. Um, you can also, if uh, you're financially struggling, you can reach out to me at prod, P-R-O-D, at gappa.org to volunteer. And we really hope to see you there. It's going to be an amazing night.
1: Thank you so much. Well, thank you to all of you for joining us for this program and an insightful conversation around how we build safe spaces for all of our communities. And a special thanks to our guest speaker today, Emmett Chen Ran of GAPA, or GLBTQ, Asian Pacific Alliance. John?
0: Thanks again to our special guest on today's program and, of course, everyone watching and listening online. You can go to commonwealthclub.org slash MMS And see our upcoming programs uh, on a number of topics, including the man who who directed every episode of *Will and Grace*. And we've got uh, upcoming authors and other speakers all lined up. We've got a great we are a great year for us. So find out at CommonwealthClub.org/slash/mms. In the meantime, stay safe and have a good rest of your week. Bye.
3: from the employees of the Commonwealth Club. We want to take a moment to acknowledge the international crisis taking place in Ukraine and highlight an organization providing humanitarian assistance to people living in or fleeing Ukraine because of the war. Outright Action International is an organization dedicated to fighting for the human rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, and queer people everywhere. In response to the Russian invasion, Outright established a Ukraine fund to support local partners in Ukraine and neighboring countries who are providing emergency assistance to LGBTIQ people in need of safe shelter, food, medical care, transportation for those fleeing the country, and other types of humanitarian support. Because mainstream humanitarian systems too frequently leave LGBTIQ people behind. We encourage you to learn more about how to support Outright's important work by visiting outrightinternational.org Ukraine. Thank you for listening.